As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the latest episode of 4-6 to with A&B. I'm here with Bill Landis. Uh, I am Ari Wasserman, your Ohio State football coverage team. Let's just get started. No bullshit. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) So Stuart Mandel, in his forward pass on Monday... (laughs) <laughs> said in his predictions for the college football playoff peach semifinal Clemson versus Oklahoma. Uh, that's one in four and Fiesta, Georgia, number two versus Ohio state number three, which is a huge deal because Stuart Mandel is viewed by our readership as the Buckeye hater. So if Stuart Mandel's putting Ohio state in the playoff after three weeks of college football, that means that Ohio state must be really good, right? Yeah, man, I can't believe you. You know, Stu signs the checks, man. You better be careful. No, I'm, I'm not telling him what I think. I'm just telling him how he's perceived by our fans, and I think he's well aware of that. Yeah, no, I mean, he's not alone. There, I think I think a lot of people are starting to come around in Ohio State, which, again, I feel like I'm iffy. I'm not iffy on it because I think they're really good, too. I just feel like we all feel too good, and I'm waiting for, like, the reality to come smack us in the Because that's just life, right? Like, that's not just football. It's like you feel too good. Like Jim Trussell said, never feel too good or never feel too bad. Never get too high, never get too low. People are feeling pretty good. What was it? What was this? I don't even know what the score was. What was it? 51 to 10. 51 to 10. And this yeah. week it's going to be 55 to nothing. That's low. You know, I mean, who my, you know who Miami, Ohio's quarterback is? Who? It's Blaine Gabbert's little brother. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. I don't know anything about him other than he's Blaine Gabbert's that little means brother. He, that means he spins it. Maybe. But that would be a crazy bowl matchup. I have the Justin Fields stories flowing. So in he my has head a, right that's, now. That would be the Atlanta game. No, that would be in Phoenix. Oh, thank God. Yeah, as long yeah. as it's in Phoenix, I don't care. They could play my hometown, they baby. Could play Army. I just want to go to Phoenix and go to Ari's parents' house, his childhood home, 
and his mother mother cooks a mean meal. God, I'm thinking about it already. Yeah, you got they the don't pool go, in the back. Look at the pool. They got orange trees in the backyard. You just reach <laughs> your hand out the window and pull an orange and squeeze it out. You got some fresh OJ. God, it's living. It's Shout living out, out to there. Bobby. Shout out to Bobby. Um, but that would be a very interesting matchup. I think that uh, it would be the Justin Fields show, and I don't know if that'd be ideal for Justin Fields to have to face Georgia in his first ever playoff game because we already are talking about the playoff in week three because that's what this is about. Um, but the better matchup in terms of storylines, I think, would be Oklahoma. Well, the thing if they were pl- if they were to play, the most obvious the most obvious thing that everyone would talk about is Justin Fields playing against Georgia. Clearly, I think if you I think if they could play some other programs and have deeper, more sort of expansive storylines, but. It would be interesting if they did end up playing Georgia. Again, they have nine more games left. Actually, ten more games because we're assuming if they get there, they win the Big Ten. And we're already talking about it as if it's going to happen. But um, Wait, it's not going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> nine and three is still possible. Yeah, nine and three is definitely possible. L- listen, this is a podcast and we're supposed no. to be we're supposed to be just living the dream out here. I don't, I don't know. I wonder how – like Justin Fields would get asked a million different ways about playing against Georgia – Justin Fields is pretty media savvy, and like this isn't—I don't want this to come off the wrong way. He just doesn't really say anything ever because he knows that whatever he says becomes news. He's just smart in that way. For a sophomore, I think it's it's kind of mature of him to know that. It makes our lives as writers a little bit more difficult. But I don't know. I th- I think you wouldn't get much from the Justin Fields side of things if Ohio State were to play Georgia. You probably wouldn't get much from the Georgia side either. You go back. So we just have to wildly speculate, which is also fun. Yeah, which uh, lets us that takes the takes us out of the box of reality and puts us into podcast land where we can just make stuff up, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to. I love alternative universe stories and like what what would happen if Justin Fields would have stayed, like what his career might look like otherwise. Um, there's a lot to dig into with like the domino effect of Jake Fromm holding him off last year and how that changed. The and revisiting his recruitment would be cool. Revisiting his recruitment, the fact that he was first committed to Penn State, which probably should be written before Ohio State plays Penn State anyway. But yeah, no, there were a lot. There would be a lot of field centric things to dig into there, obviously. I don't know what else there would be. Ohio State for a time was recruiting really well in Georgia. Yeah, I was going to just jump out down your throat. You and I went down there a couple years ago after Ohio State won the national championship. And I can't remember what the school was. It was Venzel Bolwer's high school coach. We were in his office, and he just told us about how terrible Mark Rick's staff was about recruiting kids in the state of Georgia. And then, like six months later, Mark Rick hired him to basically be the guy who helped them recruit. It was one of the most explosive interviews I've ever seen, and that was Bill's story. He wrote it on Cleveland.com, but. You have a high school coach who is uh, leading a top prospect uh, from Georgia, and the high school was Creekside uh, High in Union City, Georgia. Alton Downs, that was his name. Yeah, Alton Downs. Yeah, and you because Ohio State made a living recruiting the hell out of Georgia because Mark Richt couldn't keep kids home, and the second that Kirby Smart got there, that stuff that stuff changed. Yeah, it's different now. And if you think about some of the great players that Ohio State had who came from Georgia, Raekwon McMillan comes to mind. Von Bell. Those guys. Kind of. Von Bell's uh, on the, he's on the border. border of Tennessee and Georgia. You can pick what state he's from. But, you know, fact remains, I, I don't know where Raekwon McMillan or, or Von Bell go if they're recruits now. And that's what the fact that it's even a question, I think, just shows you how different things change. And the paradigm of recruiting and, and territories and stuff, like we always say, it's a big game of risk. And at that time, Ohio State capitalized on it. But now they're not really in Georgia anymore. Um, but anyway, we went down there, and the coach just really opened up. I wish I could go find the story right now, but we're, we're live and recording. But Bill 
was just like I could see the money signals in his eyeballs when this the stuff was I mean and it was all true that that's the thing that's so refreshing because in our job the hardest part sometimes is talking to people where both parties who are talking know the deal but one of the parties is too afraid to just say what's real um this guy did not hold back no, he didn't. And that, like revisiting that would be cool if Ohio State played Georgia. The Oklahoma thing you mentioned earlier, uh, we were reading, or I was reading a story um, when Oklahoma played um, UCLA this past week leading up to it. One of the writers, I, I, I think it was the writer who covers Oklahoma for the Tulsa paper, wrote a story about Alex Grinch and how uh, Alex Grinch, and I didn't know this, and we should have known this, and maybe someone else in the Ohio State beat wrote it, but Alex Grinch was the defensive backs coach and recruiting coordinator at University of New Hampshire when Ryan Day was the quarterback there. And the story that the guy from Oklahoma wrote was about Chip Kelly because they were playing UCLA. But I didn't know that, and I sent it to Ari and said, did you know this? And he said, no, I didn't know that either. And I was in the University of New Hampshire building <laughs> writing yeah. a story about Ryan Day just three months ago in New Hampshire, and I didn't know that. It just never came up last year when Grinch was here, but then that sent us down a road of uh, – we came up with legitimately 20 stories we would write if Ohio State played Oklahoma in the playoff because that's where our head's at right now. I, I think that there would be – that would be the most fruitful matchup for the readers in terms of our content. Yeah, because if Alabama was like Saban versus Urban, which obviously wouldn't be the case this year. Georgia would be the field stuff, but Oklahoma, there are a lot of there are a lot of things. That you know, between do. the Lincoln Riley stuff, the AD stuff, everybody knows that stuff. Gene Smith has a great relationship with their AD. They like bounce ideas off of each other, and I think their visions for their respective athletic programs are largely driven by conversations they have with one another, which would mm-hmm. be interesting. And I've written a little bit about that. Um, obviously, the obvious comparisons between Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day and how they came to their jobs. Um, Urban like dropping on everybody when he was on Fox a couple weeks ago that they took a real hard look at Jalen Hurts when Jalen Hurts was in the transfer portal and like what might have happened if Urban was the head coach here and not Ryan Day. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Yeah, there's a lot to dig into. Um, All right, guys, this is the free episode of 4 to 6, A to B. Um, You can get this podcast uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, um, wherever you get it, Google. There was one some confusion from somebody last week. It is on Google Podcast. It's not in the Google Play Music Store. But if you have like an Android phone, or you can't get the Apple app. Um, if you'd get the Google Podcast app, it isn't there. We would appreciate it if you rate, subscribe, leave a comment, um, review. That would be huge for us. We're trying to get this podcast off the ground, and uh, the only way we can do that is with your support. So we appreciate you listening. We appreciate the subscribers. If you are not subscribed, make sure you go to theathletic.com slash four dash six to sign up and you get a 40% off code there, I believe. Right, Dollaby? Uh, that's right. It's 40% off. Sorry, I was looking at our most recent uh, podcast reviews and the top one is uh, it says Ari and Bill are the best and I'm not biased and it's from AWAS underscore 11. Who's that guy? Thanks for the comment, AWAS underscore 11. <laughs> Um, But anyway, I think this is a good segue, the playoff stuff in general to, you know, discuss the especially the the Oklahoma stuff that you were just saying about the 80s and and Gene Smith bouncing ideas off each other to talk about just the young direction of or the the direction of this young coach that Ohio State has in Ryan Day. Is Young Direction a rapper? Is there a rapper named Young Direction? Young Direction is the spinoff from One Direction and Doug is the lean singer. I love One Direction. I saw them in concert. It was fantastic. I don't understand what adult would go see a One Direction concert. Like, I'm going to stop the podcast right now. It's not an adult went, band. It's for children. Uh, no, they've, they've they've grown more mature. Their most recent album, before they broke up, when they got down to four of them, it was about, like, uh, I mean, it's all still poppy love songs, but it's not about, like, uh, 13-year-old love songs. It's like 17-year-old love songs, you know? Okay. They put on a good show. They're very talented. That's great. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, just Ryan Day. 
three games into his real tenure, first co- first of the third coach in Ohio State history, excuse me, to win his first six games at Ohio State. Um, and Bill and I got back to the hotel in Indianapolis after the Indiana game on Saturday, and we had a nice discussion. Um, and we were talking about just in general how we think he's doing, uh, how he compares to Urban Meyer, um, what you would think about doing if you were in charge of the direction of the f- – the future direction, which is another band uh, of this program and, you know, kind of who you would pick and what you think. So Bill, how do you think Ryan day has done so far this year? Um, so far in his tenure and, you know, we don't want to talk about the past. We know they beat the crap out of Indiana. What about the future of this program? Promising. I, I think it's been about as good of a start, good of a start as you could have won. And I think the defense probably sticks out more than anything. They were they were really good again against Indiana. And I have a story that I'm going to write um, that'll be up on Tuesday, most likely Tuesday morning. I think it's probably when I'll, when I'll finish it. Um, looking at the film and, and the ways uh, Indiana did do some stuff that I think was a good glimpse of what Ohio State needs to work on defensively. It's not all perfect, and, and nor should you expect it to be. But it was just a reminder that, like, hey, this is new. They, get, they still have to figure some things out. And, and Indiana exploited it a little bit. They still only scored 10 points. Um, so it wasn't anything crazy, but but that's like what those are the kind of things you look for in a game that's that, that lopsided. But beyond that, um, a lot of things that, that they've done on both sides of the ball that, that I think should have you really excited about where the team's going, and that's why we're, we open this talking about playoff stuff. Their their defense looks like it looked. I don't know. I've only been covering a team since 2014, so I don't really like the, all the like old school like silver bullets or back kind of stuff doesn't totally resonate with me just because I didn't watch like those teams in the 90s and the 2000s. Um, but I remember 2016, Ohio State's defense was really good, and Ohio State's defense was better than its offense and was largely the reason that team got to the playoff because the offense wasn't great that year, but the defense that had a ton of first-round picks on it um, was among the best in the country. And I, this isn't there yet because that was such a suffocating pass defense with like Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker and Denzel Ward. Um, they were really good, and I, I think the the jury's still out a little bit on where the secondary is, but it's worlds better than it was last year. They're in such better positions. They're playing confidently, which didn't happen at all last year. They're hitting guys hard. They're causing turnovers. They finally scored a touchdown last week. It's everything you want, in my mind, out of an Ohio State defense. And then what Ryan Day is doing offensively, I think, is awesome. It's an NFL scheme, in my opinion. If you watch some of these games on Sundays, maybe a team like the the Rams or, or the Chiefs, I, I think you or the Eagles, and I, I think you see – what Ryan Day wants to be offensively, and it's it's varied. It's hard to plan for. They can do a lot of different things. They got a ton of different personnel packages. It's quarterback friendly. Um, they they play to their strengths, and and I, I, it's stuff that Ohio State wasn't doing. I thought Ohio State was usually kind of rigid on both sides of the ball, and and now they're they're willing to adapt to whatever's in front of them, and I think that's what what gets teams ultimately the championships, and that's what they're doing. Rob Aller from the Columbus Dispatch tweeted uh, on Monday morning began comparing this Ohio State defense against others, quickly landed on 1973 Buckeyes, allowed allowed only 64 points the entire season with four shutouts, hashtag Platinum Buckeyes. I was negative 14 years old. Which is where we are right now. We're beginning the podcast with uh, playoff discussion, which, by the way, is completely appropriate because the whole reason I cover the sports is to talk about the playoff. (laughs) And now we're comparing Ohio State's defense to the best defenses in Ohio State history. And... The biggest offseason question mark is whether or not this defense was going to be good enough to keep them in games. So it's quick. It's just funny to me how quickly things go. Um, but that, yeah. to me, is just a microcosm of the whole thing with Ryan Day, which is what we're discussing right now. Um, 
the first thing that you there are the three things that you have to do, I think, as a coach to be successful at this level, Bill. One and always number one on my list is recruiting well, mm-hmm. recruiting elite level talent at Ohio State. Um, obviously, the stuff changes a little bit depending on what program you're the head coach of, but recruiting is number one. Um, number two is being able to make tough decisions, whether that means firing coaches or making different players start regardless of seniority benching, you know, it's just tough decision-making, which I think really lacked at Ohio state, um, the last few years, obviously. (laughs) And three, um, if I say obviously one more time, I apologize. Um, three, I'm having a brain fart here. Oh, three decisions, tough decisions and game planning and coaching development all under the same window. Sorry. Hey, thanks for the, thanks for the heads up there, man. That's just, you helped me out of my uh, embarrassing moment. It was nice of you. Yeah, teamwork. Um, and right now, Ohio State has done all three, right? Ohio State has recruited well under Ryan Day. Um, very well. Probably better than people thought that they would in terms of, yeah. A, keeping this, te- this 2019 class intact when he first took over for Urban, or the news came out in December. And then, of course, what he's put together in 2020. The class is already almost full, and which 21. is... And then 21's off to an incredible start. And we're going to have a bunch of stuff on this as the season progresses. Um, two, the dif- difficult decision-making. A, bringing in Justin Fields, mm-hmm. uh, number one, with the chance of decimating his entire uh, quarterback room, uh, which he did. Um, and then, of course, the other move that he made right when he got hired was replacing the entire defensive staff, which now brings us to the third week of the season, which is... Comparing them to the 1973 Ohio State defense. 74. Was it three or four? 73. Oh, God. I was negative negative 15 years old. And I think all the things so far that I would grade Ryan Day for, in those three pillars, he gets an A in. Which is a pretty good sign for where this program is and where it's heading, in my opinion. Yeah. I I wanted to be a contrarian there and try to figure out an area that wasn't an A. You? Contrarian? Listen, when I when I when I uh, when I zig or zag, depending on who makes the first move, I don't do it just to do it. I do it with real thought in it. But with me, I think it's like deliberate. Yeah, sometimes it's just to piss you off. Um, and it works. But I but I agree. Um, I, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't even know where you knock it down to like an A minus. I don't. The thing about recruiting, and this might sound weird, I, Urban the twenty seventeen class. With all those five stars was like ridiculous the way they put that together. And 2018 wasn't all that different. And it, I think it's still a fair question about on the recruiting side. It's like they're going to get good offensive players because Ryan Day is established as an offensive play caller or what he wants to do. That's why you see like Julian Fleming and Paris Johnson and those guys come in at a couple top 100 players and most of them were on the offensive side of the ball. They don't have, and you correct, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't have that out of nowhere five star stud on defense. That Ohio State has gotten over, like Jeffrey Okuda, Chase Young. The Bosa's weren't quite out of nowhere because they were ties to Ohio State. Um, Rayquan McMillan, who you mentioned earlier, like I, I think I'd hold off on giving Ryan Day an A for recruiting until they got that kind of player because I think that that's difficult and maybe the defense. And you're talking about the elite of the elite when you talk about those names because they yeah. do have Clark Phillips, who's top from, top hundred. He's a top fifty player yeah. from California and the number four cornerback in the country. But I think you're talking about that five-star crazy. I'm talking like non- top ten, top national, 10 prospect. national prospect, and that I have which to go Jack back Sawyer and look it is. Up. Jack Sawyer is that in the 21 class, but he's, he's also from Ohio. And I don't know how many of those defensive players at Ohio State got in Urban's tenure. So to compare it, I think that's a very rare thing. And they the got other, quite a few of them on the back end of Urban's tenure. Yeah, um, but 
the one thing that you guys need to remember is that that could still happen because Ohio State is recruiting the heck out of Elias Ricks from IMG. Mm-hmm. That would Five-star be... prospect, and I think that would land right into the category of what you're talking Get about. Get Elias Ricks, and I will I will gladly go to an A. Yeah, but that's what, that's what I'm talking about. And like, it's, a, it's a hard curve, I guess, to grade on, but it's just like, I, I don't know. No, but it's He's good. Done, they've done so well so far that it's like, all right, well, like, what else can you do? And yeah. they should because yeah. that's the – I think sometimes, too, having a top five class and a top two class – even though I think they're marginally the same, they're also marginally different. And having one player like that on your team can change the entire team, in my opinion. For sure. So you, yeah. you get a guy like that to, to be the bonus prospect in a, in a class that's already otherwise full, and you have an entirely different situation. Yeah. So, But they've um, met all their needs, which is, I mean, short of running back, I suppose, but, but that's impressive at this time of year. And I'm going to write a story about this. We've been talking about it for a few weeks. I just haven't done it yet, but... This is the fullest Ohio State's class has been at this point in time in my career, in my, unless I'm forgetting something. I mean, to be, what are they, three spots or four spots away from being completely full right now, and they don't have any glaring needs besides running back, and if J.K. Dobbins somehow comes back, which we gave a 20% chance on the podcast last week, they could get away with not having another running back on the roster next year, especially considering what we're seeing from Master Teague. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good spot to be in recruiting-wise. Yeah, they've done really well, and it's a credit to the to the staff in addition to Ryan Day. But Day's been aggressive too. Like some of the stories you hear about him going, especially in the state, like going out on his own, the places that recently Ohio State's head coach just wouldn't go. Like Cincinnati Elder comes to mind. Remember, they were they couldn't believe Ryan Day showed up at Cincinnati Elder on the first day he was allowed on the road by himself to talk to a three star offensive lineman. But like that's what he's doing. It's what he has to do, I think, at the start of his tenure. But but that's how he's handling it. With right recruiting, now. also there are. Um a lot of three-star prospects in this class, more so than we're used to. A lot of linemen. Uh, a yeah. lot of linemen from in-state, which is a you've written about. Mm-hmm. It's a departure from the way that they used to recruit offensive linemen um, because they would ignore some of these three-star guys in the state till the end of the process, and then they ended up going elsewhere or it was too late or their class was too full, and they ended up not getting some really good players in the state. And I think they've locked up, you know, Josh Fryer is from Indiana, but he's three-star. Joe Royer, three-star tight end. Um got Jacob James from Cincinnati Elder, the three-star um, offensive guard. Trey LaRue, three-star from Norwalk, Ohio. And um, there's a three-star kicker, which is basically a five-star That's kicker. That's five-star. Three-star kickers um, are five-stars. But they, they have more three-stars. So the idea of balancing hard-nosed Ohio offensive line three-star prospects with top-end talent is a different approach. And it still obviously the, remains to right, be seen. I think it's the right approach, though. Like, I, I can't – every time I think of this conversation, I always think of the 2015 recruiting class where they had so many misses, and a lot of those misses were out-of-state offensive linemen that were three-star prospects. Not every lineman you recruit is going to hit. That's You have to live with that fact. If they all hit, great, but it's, it's just not going to happen. You're going to recruit some developmental guys who just don't develop the way you want them to, and, and like that happens, and you work around it, and, and hopefully you recruit it well in other classes to make up for it. But – you're doing you're you're putting yourself on more of a of a disadvantage, I think, by recruiting guys like that who are also not from the state you your your school is in. So you get a guy from New Jersey, a guy from South Dakota. Um, I don't know who else is in that class. Like it was like Grant Schmidt, Kevin Feeder, yeah. Bowen was in that class, and Bowen stuck around. Um, who's the guard? Utah. The kid, 
Bowen's from Utah. Yeah. Matthew Burrell like never worked out here. Yeah, and he wasn't a lower rated guy, but it's just like they, he was a tie end for us. They swung, five. they swung and missed on a lot of out of state offensive linemen. And if you're going to swing and miss, and it's going to happen, I'd rather you swing and miss an Ohio offensive lineman while also getting guys like Luke Whipler and Paris Johnson and Harry Miller. I think it's a good combo. That, I think that's how you have to do it. And some of the best Ohio State offensive linemen in the Urban Meyer era were three star Ohio State kids for sure. So uh, it's just funny to me because when you look back. Um, and I'm referencing the 247 talent composite right now. Alabama only has 13 five star or three star prospects on their entire roster. That's pretty crazy. 13? Yeah. Wow. How many does Ohio State have? 25. How many does Clemson have? Clemson, they're probably, they're Clemson is. Clemson is has 33, yeah. and Clemson is the number nine most talented. This is the most unbelievable departure from my like. It's like if somebody tells you the thing that you live by isn't true, like you would use Clemson as the example. Clemson's crazy because they've like they're at the very least they're the tie for first in terms of best programs in college football, and they've only just recently starting recruit it like starting to recruit like it. Which I would is kind of love terrifying. to read a story about how they did that. It was like <laughs> Michigan State on steroids. It was, yeah. D'Antonio's looking over there wondering how they did it. It's probably, But Clemson probably also has seven five-stars on their roster, which is third or fourth behind Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia. So um, the other thing that's funny about recruiting rankings, and then we'll switch the tangent, is USC is the fourth most talented team in college football. You hear that, Urban? <laughs> and they suck. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Coaching still matters. Coaching does matter. <laughs> so we'll get back to coaching now. Perfect segue, Bill. The, su- the second pillar that Ryan Day has, I think, drastically improved on his game day planning. Mm-hmm. And you're the X's and O's guru of the Ohio State athletic um, writing staff, so I'll let you discuss that. But would you say that that's a, a, a right thing to say? Would you say it's been a legit, real-life, tangible upgrade from Ohio from Ohio State's Urban Meyer tenure in terms of offensive and defensive game planning? Uh, I think it is more palatable if that makes sense. Like, it's it's just more entertaining to watch. I think we have to see him play against better teams to, to say definitively that, that Ryan Day is going to have the right plan sort of every week. I think that he will, and I've said that. It's part of the reason why I think they're going to avoid, for the most part, the kind of, like, quote-unquote trap game losses that, that tend to happen with, with elite teams like this. I just think they're going to they're gonna have a specific kind of game plan, a well-thought-out plan for everybody they play. Um, but that is different than you know, pressing the right buttons when you're in the Big Ten championship against Wisconsin or if you're in the playoff against Oklahoma or Georgia like we were talking about earlier. I, I don't I don't want to assume that that's going to happen just yet, um, but I do. I, I love the offensive package that Ryan Day has, has brought to this offense. It makes me wonder what Ohio State could have been the last two years if Urban would have really let Ryan Day. And, and I think it's important to mention Kevin Wilson too, and, and Mike Yersich certainly has had a hand in this offense as well. But it's Day's show, and, and I've, I've been wondering these last three games, like, oh, I wonder what they could have been last year if they did. They couldn't run the ball last year. What if they were doing some of this under center stuff with Dwayne Haskins? They, they couldn't really pass. But everything you're saying makes sense, but what would they have done the last two years if they fired assistants that should have been fired? I think is the number one fan. Well, I'm question. talking about the offense, which like I don't think that that question is applicable to the offense the last two years anyway. Unless you were to fire the offensive line coach, I guess you could have been warranted in that. But they've been good so far. On the other side, I don't like 2017. They weren't atrocious defensively. I think you could kind of see it coming. 2016, they were awesome. 2017, they were okay. 2018, they were awful. Um, and that was like you saw 
you saw the regression, I think, over time, especially if you go back and look at it now and, and think about how things played out. Um, and that, that definitely kept them from making the playoff last year. If Even if they would have just kept it somewhat closer against Purdue, I think they would have gotten in. So that's like a major what if that I think you draw a straight line to defensive coaching. Twenty-seven. Because even though you were talking about offense, and of course I did the the weekly interrupting. But yeah, I'm keeping a tally in my head. You're like up the four now. Yeah, that's good. Offense would have been good enough to win a national championship last year if defense was ahead. So it's like even though I don't I, think the offense was good enough to win a national championship last year. They couldn't run the ball. I think they were good enough. I think they would have figured. They couldn't it out. score touchdowns in the red zone, and they couldn't run the ball. I don't think they were good enough last year. It's part of the reason why they lost to Purdue. They couldn't score a touchdown in the red zone for two two straight games. They could not score a touchdown in the red zone. Yeah, fair enough. They had a quarterback that threw fifty touchdowns last year, so I think yeah, it's so like does Washington State every year. I, I think that it's a very. It happened. Like I don't. I don't think they were bad. I think I thought they they used what was was there for them. If you Dwayne put Haskins this year's was awesome, the receivers were awesome. I don't think they were built to win a national championship last year. I think they could have gotten to the playoff, and they would have if the score against Purdue was closer. I don't think they could have won it. We'll never know. That's why I can say it definitively because yeah, I can no, never be yeah. proven wrong. Yeah, you can you can do that 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 barking ha 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 and then yeah, but like I but like I do think that like Ohio State's offense last year was more equipped to win a national championship than the, the offense in 2016 that got blown out for sure. So like it's like it's also very hard to say because it's like 31 points against Clemson with a really good defense. I think that like last year's team could have scored 31 points. They couldn't pass and they could run and then they couldn't run and they could pass and now they can do both. Get you a man who can do both, Get Ryan you Day. A man who can do both, Ryan Day is that man. No, that's what I wrote after the game and, and like misconceptions about Ryan Day's like roots. I think people probably just assumed he would want to air it out all the time. He didn't come from an air raid system, but they threw the ball so much last year that I think it was logical to just assume that the natural progression of Ryan Day's offense moving forward, especially now that he's head coach, is going to be to throw the ball forty-five times a game. And that's not what they're going to do. I mean, if they ever had a quarterback who that would work better for, like a Dwayne Haskins again, I guess they would. But I don't think Ryan Day's going to recruit guys like that. I think he wants some more mobility in his quarterback than he had last year. Um, but the balance they have at the moment offensively, especially the last two games with the way they've been running the ball, I, I think that, look to me, looks like an offense that is equipped to, make, to go to the playoff and have success because I think you have to be able to do both. And they could not do both really for the last. You don't want to put a, a square peg in a round hole, right? Yeah. And try to like make certain quarterbacks that aren't equipped to do certain things do those things. And I think we've seen a, the failure, especially in the NFL, um, where coaches try to make talented quarterbacks do things that they're not naturally good at. Um, and just the idea that Ryan Day has shown that he's able to shift this offense to fit the strengths of this team, I think, is an indication that things are going well. Yep. Now, I don't know if I'd put him in the same category as scheming uh, as Lincoln Riley, because I've watched a lot of Oklahoma this year for some reason, and I still am blown away. Only. I'm still really blown away by the way that that offense schemes and looks, and I think that Ryan Day has that in him, but I do think that the days of relying only on talent to bully opponents and hope that things work out because they're more talented are now being joined by elite level scheming, which in turn will lead to a lot of success. And the reason why I don't think they will lose a game to a bad opponent this year. Yeah, I agree. That's what I've been saying all along. Yeah. I wonder about the, like how does predisposed Ryan day is to be aggressive all the time. I don't think he, I think Lincoln Riley is like pretty aggressive all the time. 
and maybe at a certain point that gets you burned. I think Ryan Day can pull it back a little bit, and like case in point, the the end of the first half against Indiana, I thought they should have tried the score, and they didn't. They called one shot play, and they called it against his own defense, and it just wasn't there, and that kind of ended the drive. And then J.K. Dobbins ran into the back of the referee. Maybe it would have been different, but I didn't sense a whole lot of urgency to try to score there, and I think maybe some other more aggressive coaches would have. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just thought it was like an interesting peek into Ryan Day that he's like not he's not full bore all the time, which might be a good thing, but I think it's an interesting thing. I also think that if things go well or go according to plan from a defensive uh, standpoint, Ohio State has a better defense than Oklahoma. Yeah, I haven't watched. I watched a little bit of the Houston game, and Houston. I mean, Houston's got a good offense, but I didn't. I thought that was two offenses like playing pretty freely in that game, and I haven't really played a good team since then. So we'll see. I don't. I. I do think Alex Grinch is a good defensive coordinator. I don't know if they have the talent. My only point is that you don't have to have your foot on gas pushed down to the floor every time you have the ball. If you feel like your defense is in a really good spot. Yeah, no, that's good. That's a good point. I think that's true. It's it's like the same thing about we talked about last week about whether or not you try to be aggressive in punt return and kick return. It's like just get the ball. Like if I had like West Virginia's offense last year, I would never have punted ever. Yeah, <laughs> if you watch that 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 West Virginia Oklahoma game last year has like scarred my brain in terms of what football is supposed to be. <laughs> um, okay, what's the third pillar? The third pillar is we did recruiting, we did game planning, we did tough decision making. A plus. Yeah, those are the three pillars. Yeah, we have we talked about all three. No, we haven't talked about tough decision making. Yeah, tough decision making. Have we? A plus. I give him an A plus. I give him an A plus. Yeah, we did talk the quarterback and the in the, in the firing and defensive staff. The thing that hasn't happened is. Linebackers, well, just the idea of like young guys jumping ahead of established guys on the roster, and it's not it, linebackers the most obvious one, but yeah. like Garrett Wilson hasn't played a ton, and I think a lot of people, probably you and I included, thought Garrett Wilson might leapfrog Austin Mack and Ben Victor hasn't mm-hmm. happened. Yep, um, Jalen Gill's not playing a bunch; they're playing a lot with two tight ends. KJ Hill's getting his snaps, but they're not really playing with a second H back. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little surprising, and I'm not. I'm not saying they should be playing. Clearly, things are working so far. But I, yeah, I, I wonder to what extent Ryan Day would be ruthless, and that hasn't the the idea of of personnel management. It hasn't really crept into that as right. much as I thought it would. It would just be very interesting, and I know that this is just going to be this is like just close your eyes, guys, and just get to the end of this. But what Ryan Day would do if he had the JT Dwayne dilemma at the end of the year? What do you think he would do? You're talking about after like the 2017 Oklahoma game, yeah. Would he bench his established would he starter? Bench and play an the young atta- guy? established starter who has been a captain on this team for three years to get a young guy to rejuvenate the team for a chance to make a major run, or do you stick with your guy? And to this day, everybody's got their opinion about whether or not Urban Meyer made the right decision by sticking with JT. I personally think that Dwayne Haskins is one of the best quarterbacks in Ohio State history and only played one year, and that is a huge mismanagement of talent. Um, I think you might disagree with that. We've had this discussion in various forms a hundred times, but I just want to know what you think Ryan Day would, would have done. Uh, it's a good question. I, I don't know if I have a, a, a hard thought on it, to be honest. Um, I don't think he would have like wholesale Dwayne's the starter after you lose to Oklahoma. I think maybe he would have tried to find some openings to work the other quarterback in to, to see what he's got, and then maybe you know two or three weeks later you just go with the guy you think is best, and that could have been Dwayne. Um, but I don't think it's not – everyone who said bench JT, and like I totally get why you said it, it's it's just not that easy. I don't think it's What would you do? I th- Well, in, with hindsight, I probably would have put Dwayne in. 
at the time, I didn't think Dwayne was ready. And I thought when Dwayne got into games later that year, he kind of proved he wasn't ready up until the Michigan game when obviously he proved he could he could do the job. Yep. It's like in the moment, I wouldn't have made a change. With hindsight, I would have. Yep. Which brings us to the next more fun discussion, which Bill and I kind of had some argument with in the hotel room. And basically what you guys need to know is when we were on the road in the car and I'm badgering him, this is how we, it's like our dress rehearsal for the podcast. But yeah. do you know what question's coming? Yeah, I know a question's coming. Okay, let me ask it. If you had, if you were the athletic director of Ohio State right now, and you knew you were going to have a coach locked up for the next six years, who would you choose to build the program from now until the next six years in this starting point, Urban Meyer or Ryan Day? Both coaches in their current state. And we're in their current state, and, we're talking and we guarantee forward. for six years. Because obviously you could say, well, Urban might not want to do this. You go with Ryan Day. I don't want time to be a factor. Uh, I would take Ryan Day. My eyes just rolled into the back of my head for the second time. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to say it with people listening to it, but you said it. And I think you, you, you can make a strong case, and you're going to. So I'll let you make the case. I feel insane saying it, but... We're talking about moving forward. You just said that you would pick Ryan Day over Urban Meyer. Right now. Right, right now, now. Right now, I think okay. I would. Right now, I think I would, Like, and looking ahead long term. And part of it is like obvious stuff like Ryan Day is younger. Urban, Urban Meyer is older. Um, Ryan Day, I think, is a little more forward thinking. And I will say that there, I, I did feel that Urban was getting a little more open to allowing new ideas to creep into the way he did things. And I'm talking schematically on the field things. Um, toward the end, so maybe it's wrong of me to assume that he wouldn't be fully open to that. But I just think like Ohio State was getting a little stale in the way they were playing football, and mm-hmm. like Urban Urban is a master of running a program. He's a master of recruiting. He's a master of motivation. He he might be the best at doing all of those things. Yeah, I think like Nick Saban and him, and like that's the end of the conversation, and everybody knows that. So I don't I don't mean to come off as disrespectful to what his legacy is. He's one of the best coaches ever. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, and he should be. Um, but I think Ryan Day is a little more innovative. And I'm talking pure football coach. Ryan Day is more innovative. Uh, I think more willing uh, to adapt and make difficult decisions like we've been, we've been talking about. Um, and I can't get some of the things out of my head of, of some of the hires that Urban made or at, toward the latter part of his tenure. Some were really good. Some were awful. And the ones that were awful really came back to bite Ohio State in the ass. And Ryan Day has been doing this for a year. So far, it seems like his hires have been good. That doesn't mean that the, his next hire is going to be great, but he did a good job with the, with his first crack at it. So I guess he gets bonus points for that. Maybe I'm weighing that a little too heavily, but for me it would come down to who I think would be more forward-thinking and innovative and and not as rigid, um, and I would pick Ryan Day. Hmm. Who would you pick? Urban. How difficult of a question is that for you? Is it easy, cut and dry, Urban? No, no I don't know. think it's cut and dry. I think the idea that Urban Meyer mismanaged his coaching staff the last two years and it cost them a chance to play for a national championship is a huge, a huge deal. A huge deal. Yep. I also agree with everything you said about the offense becoming stale. I think that Ohio State had more talent and they relied on it too much. I think the combination of more talent and elite scheme <laughs> makes you a national champion. Um, but I also know that being a college coach, and the question wasn't which coach is better. I think the question was which team person would you pick to build your program or to build around your program. To move your program to forward. To move your program forward. And Urban Meyer built what Ohio State has, but I wouldn't want the master recruiter 
the master motivator, the master program builder who, as much as we think it's enough already talking about the Real Life Wednesdays thing sometimes, that is a huge deal. And just it's just another example of innovation yeah. that gets kids on campus. And to me, for as well as Ryan Day has done bringing in kids, it still is a huge question mark about what this team is going to look like in five years. And I think if Urban Meyer were the head coach, you would have a guarantee that Ohio State would be a playoff contender in five years. I don't know that we could guarantee that right now. And I think that we talk about year two. We talk about year two for coaches, right? Scott Frost, year two, Nebraska. Uh, Urban Meyer, year two um, at Ohio State. Was a national championship contender. Year three, they won it. Yep. Um, you know, year two, year two is just the big year for coaches, right? Historically, yeah. I think Ohio year. State had such a good coach in Urban Meyer that Ryan Day – is going to compete and potentially win, maybe, the national championship in year one, and that's all because of what Urban Meyer built. In year two, he's going to be in the same exact position because this team is going to be stacked based on that 2017 recruiting class that you mentioned, which was one of the best recruiting classes in college football history. Mm-hmm. What about Ryan Day in year three and four? Obviously, looking at what we see in the recruiting rankings right now, that is a very good thing to see. But I don't know that it is a surefire done deal that Ohio State's going to be a national championship contender every year when Ryan Day is in year six of his tenure here. And I think winning and competing for a national championship, winning one is very hard. And if you win one every five years or every six years or seven years, I think you're an amazing program. Having a program that's built and equipped to be in the playoff or be in the playoff discussion in November every single year, regardless of roster turnover, is damn, they're impossible, and only three teams in college football can do it. And Urban Meyer built that. So knowing that he did that, that's why I would take him. And, you know, it's kind of the easy easy response, right? Oh, just take the Hall of Fame coach who's one of the best of all time. Yeah. It's a layup. Like, I get that. But I also respect and I think understand what you're saying, and that should make Ohio State fans feel good because you have a guy that learned how to build. You have a guy that learned under Urban Meyer, and you have a guy – who so far has shown early returns to understand how to do this. And if Ryan Day is Lincoln Riley, because I take Lincoln Riley over Bob Stoops 100 times out of 100. Yeah. But Bob Stoops, I think, was two full steps behind Urban. He wasn't Yeah, he was not on the same He level. was not Urban. Um, but if he turns into what Lincoln Riley is, then it's a slam dunk. And I think that we're on track to seeing that happen. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you make valid points. And that's the, the big question. I, I don't really have any – I don't have many doubts about Ryan Day – on-field football coach, my questions about Ryan Day are, can you sustain what this program is? 100%. And like sort of in every other facet, which I think is a totally fair question. I think it's, I think it's a fact, maybe. You could, you could push it on the edge of fact that Ryan Day is they, has this team more equipped based on his knowledge of the game and his schematic viewpoints and the decisions he's, he's made in terms of what coaches to bring into the fold mm-hmm. is a better game day coach than Urban was. I think you can say that right now. Yeah, I, it's, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a crazy thing to say, I suppose. But, but I don't but know. I, How did I, people I feel? I think you think you're right. I think there's evidence to that. And like some guys, it's just a – some guys have a knack for it and others don't. It's not that Urban didn't. Clearly, Urban did. Um, but was he, Urban even at Florida viewed as like a mastermind game day coach? I mean, he's viewed as one of the great offensive innovators, yeah. Like, because he was always he was like the first coach in my memory, dating back to like just being a college football fan as a kid. That was like, we're going for it on fourth down at midfield. Forget it. Like we're going. Like yeah. I think he was the first like aggressive pedal to the metal Super type aggressive. of guy. Yeah, and I think he started that. But in terms of just, if you had to pick one coach with equal, if you had equal teams and you had to pick one coach to win a football game, 
I think Urban Meyer might have been outside the top 10 in college football last year in that category. Equal teams on both sides. You have to pick a coach to win that game. Who do you pick? I don't pick Urban ever. Oh, I might pick Urban. Like a big game, I'd pick Urban. A big game? Urban's a great big game coach. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the thing he did best. The master motivation for big games. His teams were never out of it in big games. Like the, the Clemson 31. The last biggest game of his career, they got blown off the field. The last biggest game of his career, they kicked the shit out of Michigan last year. No, I understand about? that. I'm talking about national level big game we're coaching. Ohio You're talking State about playoff games and championship games. Yes. I think it extends beyond that. I think Ohio State would have beat the shit out of Michigan no matter what last year. Urban, Urban Meyer. I, I, I would just disagree with you then. I, I, th- I think that. I think they beat assessing- the shit out of them because they were better than them across the field and more talented. Like you look down at the field from the press box and you look at Michigan warming up and you look at Ohio State warming up. It looks like JV versus varsity. I mean, that has something to do with it. I mean, come on. That, that's, yeah, I, I just think you're wrong. I just. I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that Urban Meyer didn't have to be great to go seven and zero against Michigan. Obviously, he did. It's incredible to win that game. But I'm not going to put last year's Michigan game in the same category as beating Clemson. Okay, that's fine. It doesn't have to be in the same category. It's still a big game. They won that game. They won the Big Ten Championship. They won the Rose Bowl. Those are big games. They won them. Um, they've won big games more often than they've lost them when Urban was here. And I think if you were – if you let's go back to what you said. You could pick any coach to go win a big game, and there are ten coaches you'd pick before you picked Urban Meyer. That's insane. That might be insane. Yeah. That is a crazy thing to say. I think I'd pick Dabo. I think I picked Nick Saban, Lincoln Riley, and Lincoln discussion. Riley. It's like really hard because you have crazy schemers out there on like smaller teams that like you never would know to put the pet test. I know like motivation. You're right. You're right. That's that's a little crazy. You're right. I agree. Yeah, let's pump the brakes there a little bit, guy. Ten, ten is a lot. Four is a lot. I think there are three you can make I a just reasonable like, argument. That's yeah, I know, but it's like I think Urban Meyer also was the reason they didn't achieve what they should have the last few years. So it's just like it's like really hard to. Yeah, like, I might pick a, Ryan Day. Last year, to, to Ryan no, Day to draw to sit in his room on his spiral notebook and draw the 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 freaking game plan. I'd still pick Urban. I think. I love this podcast. Yeah. You said one of the craziest things I've ever heard anybody say. I think, but I, I retract. Okay, I was I was on a roll. You know, sometimes when you're going down a hill and you're going 30 miles an hour and it turns into 60 and you didn't mean to it? Yeah, just pull the brakes. <laughs> I pull the brakes a little bit, but I think my overall point I still stand by. Yeah, there was a time when Urban Meyer was no doubt about it on the top of college football, and I think maybe for the last two or three years he was like just slightly below where you, where you should have And you have to remember, too, to like – when Jim Trestle, obviously left on his own terms, or uh, you know, against the way he would have wanted it to, he did not leave on his own terms. He did not leave on his own terms. I meant that he left in a way that he wouldn't have wanted to leave. But the biggest knock on Jim Trestle was that Ohio State could not win the big game, and that was when they were beating Michigan consistently, and when they would go out and they get their ass kicked against Florida in the championship game. They got their ass kicked against LSU in the championship game, and they were losing on a large scale in these national matchups. People were tired of it. People were tired of it. 
And so when you go back and you use last year's Michigan game as the illustration for winning a big game, I just immediately go back to 2005 and 2006 and the way people were feeling at the time when Jim Trestle, who was the original OG beat the shit out of Michigan, Ohio State head coach before Urban went 7-0, and that was, that was kind of the turning point when beating Michigan wasn't an illustration of how good this program is on a national scale. And Ohio State's last sample size on the national scale against a team that is equally talented as Emma's Clemson, they got their ass kicked. Mm-hmm. I don't think Ohio State would get their ass kicked if they played Clemson right now. I think they would lose. I don't think they would get their ass kicked. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. What's the time over there, bud? Give me the wrap it up. Uh, give me the wrap it up hand motion. Is yeah. that the official wrap it up hand motion? All right, guys. Thanks so much for uh, listening to um, the latest edition of Four to Six with A and B. That was a good one. I think we're starting to hit our stride a little bit. What do you think, Dollaby? I'm in, I'm wait and see mode. No, it was good. Yeah, um, and I hope that you listening to me ramble or you listening to Bill ramble made you want to pound your steering wheel uh, in. Neither way, agree or disagree. Um, if you are not a subscriber to The Athletic, we would love to have you. We would love to stay employed. Please go to theathletic.com uh, slash 4-6, 40% off. Um, you're, you get all the sports, plus you get our wonderful Ohio State coverage. Um, if you're listening uh, um, on any of your other platforms outside of The Athletic app for the podcast, be sure to rate and review the podcast and subscribe. That would mean a lot as we continue to get this thing off the ground. And as always, we appreciate you uh, you being here with us. Don't forget, Friday show, mailbag, subscriber only on The Athletic. We'll put up a, uh, a forum midweek for you to get those questions in. And if you subscribe, uh, that's part of the uh, the benefit of subscribing, I think, yeah. is you get to ask us the direct questions and we'll answer them on the podcast. And we address all of them. Yeah. We address all of them. So, again, thanks so much. For, for Bill Landis, I'm Ari Wasserman. Thanks so much for listening to the Athletic 4-6 to A-B to B podcast. Hey, what's up, listeners? we got some exciting news to share with you. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of the show. You can subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And make sure you check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read stories featured on the show. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. 
From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The Lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The Lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.